Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 2 Samuel chapter 7 and starting at verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, O Sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself, and to make a name for himself, and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations and their gods from before your people, whom you redeemed from Egypt. You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised so that your name will be great forever. Then men will say, The Lord Almighty is God over Israel, and the house of your servant David will be established before you. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, you have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O Sovereign Lord, have spoken. And with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Good evening. Peter, thank you for reading for us. As we turn back to that reading from 2 Samuel, you also find the hands on the back of the blue service sheet an outline of where we'll be going in the next few moments. You might find it helpful to have that outline to hand, but you will certainly find the Bible helpful. Um, that 2 Samuel 7, that's 311 in the Pew Bibles. Let me pray as we turn back to God's word. Father, together we confess tonight that we are helpless. We have your word in front of us, and yet we are helpless to believe it or understand it or to be changed by it. And so very simply, we asked for the power of your spirit to be at work in us, to help us in all those ways that we might cling on to your son more firmly tonight, we pray. Amen. You can tell a lot about what 
a person believes by how they pray. Uh, Earlier this year, a major national newspaper printed the results of a survey looking at how people in this country pray, and they discovered that just under half of the adults in this country uh, claim to never pray at all. And that's not surprising because about a similar number of people in this country um, claim to not believe in a God at all. And it makes perfect sense if there's no God, why would you pray to him? But the survey also discovered that for the majority of people who do pray in this country, the, the kind of prayers they pray and the kind of God they believe in um, displays a sort of belief in a God who's like a glorified Santa, there to issue presents and help on demand. And so like Santa, they ignore God for many seasons of the year, but at certain times of the year, there's a a flurry of prayers and requests that get sent up to God, uh, asking for certain helps. Uh, Maybe it's because of a crisis or exams coming, interviews around the corner, a tricky decision to make poor health. And when this season of crisis passes, well, so does the prayer. And again, this makes perfect sense. If you believe God is a bit like a glorified Santa, then that kind of prayer makes perfect sense. You can tell a lot about what a person believes by the way they pray. And so can I ask us tonight, how do we pray? When we have some free time just on our own, when we're with a friend, having coffee, in our small groups. How do we pray? But more than that, what does our prayer life show about the kind of God we believe in? Tonight, we are looking at one of the great prayers in all of Scripture, and whether we are an atheist who never prays, or we only pray in a crisis, or we are someone who prays very often, we would all do well to compare our prayer lives with the prayer we find before us. We're in the book of 2 Samuel. The setting is 1000 BC. The prayer is King David, the second king of a small, seemingly insignificant little nation near the eastern shore of the Mediterranean. And the reason why he prays is because of some news he has just heard in the first half of the chapter. We saw this news last week, if you're with us, looking at 2 Samuel. We're in a series looking at the whole of the first half of the book. We saw last week the news that David receives is that God will establish his eternal kingdom through David. One of David's descendants will sit on the throne of God's kingdom forever. And this kingdom... In this kingdom, God's people will be blessed forever with a home to live in and protection from all enemies. And so forget the Roman Empire or the House of Windsor or the American dream. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall, but not the kingdom of 2 Samuel 7. History is not rudderless or meaningless. It is really all about this plan and these promises for God's king and his people. And tonight we see how David responds to God's plan for the world. We need to be careful because we're not David. God hasn't promised to put one of our own sons on the throne forever. 
And yet the plan of 2 Samuel 7 is still God's plan for the world today. And one day when the true King Jesus returns, all the promises of blessing and protection will be fulfilled forever. And so tonight, David shows us how we should respond to God's plan for the world. How should we pray? Well, you'll see on the handout first, praise God because of his grace. I imagine David sitting on his terrace of his great palace one morning, sipping a flat white and um, scanning through the architect's drawings for the house that he was planning to build for God. That was how chapter 7 began. But then verse 17, just before our reading, Nathan the prophet comes with a word from God about God's plan for the world and everything changes. And so verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord. I take it this means that David went down from his great palace in Jerusalem down to the tent that was covering the um, the ark of the Lord that was um, living there just for a, a season. We heard about it last week. And David, the great king, comes and he, he sits down next to the ark in the, in the tent. And he prays. Verse 18. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family? that you have brought me this far. Who am I? David had been a lowly shepherd boy. We were away for a few days last week and uh, we were staying in farming country. And as we drove around through the farming country, I was just struck again how slow and quiet farming is. It's mundane, unremarkable. David was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest brother of a large family, and as youngest, he would have been given the lowliest jobs around the farm. It's easy to think of, of David as always being the main man. You know how the story might go. He was a head boy at school, uh, chair of the de- debating society at university. The dream graduate job was landed and then eventually entering politics as a brilliant leader full of charisma. In fact, he was so good that he became prime minister of the world, and then under his brilliant leadership, the country and the world flourished, and so brilliant was David that God was almost obliged to give him this eternal promise about his son being on the throne forever. But that is all wrong. Who am I, says David? The answer, just a simple shepherd boy, a nobody, thousands like him. But look how far God had brought him. God had used him to defeat Goliath in 1 Samuel. God had rescued him from the murderous hands of Saul, his enemy, and now God had made him the king of Israel. God had brought him some distance. But even more than that, verse 19 And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servants. Is this your usual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? 
Back in verse 16, God promised David's descendant would reign forever. And we know this promise has become a reality through David's great son, the Lord Jesus. Why me? Says David. I'm a nobody, a shepherd boy. And now forever I will be known as the father of the eternal king of the world. More than that, verse 20. David says to the Lord, for you know your servant. David is talking about his heart. The places that people can always see when you look at someone from the outside. And David knows the Lord knows his heart. All his hidden sins. We are only four chapters away from Bathsheba. David is far from a perfect king. He knows the Lord knows. And in many ways, David is no better than King Saul, whom the Lord rejected. And yet now, forever, he will be the father of an an eternal king. Why was David chosen? Verse 21. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servants. God's promise to David had nothing to do with his merits, but simply because of God's mercy. And so David sits on the floor next to the ark in the tent under the palace, and he is undone by God's grace. And so he praises God because of that great grace. But it's come not just to David, for he continues, verse 23. And who is like your people Israel? the one nation on earth that God went out to redeem as a people for himself and to make a name for himself. Last week, we thought about how Meghan had done very well indeed when she married Prince Harry and joined the royal family. It is, as we heard last week, in many ways, a fairy tale story. But we thought last week that actually, when a person becomes part of God's family, a Christian, they've actually been and promoted to an even higher rank because they've been welcomed into God's royal family forever. But here's the thing. Before Harry married Meghan, she already had quite a lot going for her. She was a successful and beautiful um, actress. Uh, she was well-known and famous, starring in lots of big roles. Uh, she was a celebrity in her own right. And yes, she has done very well to marry into the House of Windsor, but she was already quite a catch. But the people of Israel were not the Meghan Markle of the ancient world. They were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. When the Lord rescued uh, Israel... She had no home, no land, no leader, no legal system, no history of past victories, a nothing nation. And so instead of Megan, imagine if last week Prince Harry had gone to a high security prison and he'd found there a lifer. Uh, a no-hoper, you could say. And imagine he'd managed to secure a special release for this lifetime inmate of the prison. And then imagine the scene 
last week, when down the aisle came this other bride, disheveled hair, uh, ripped and torn clothes, the, the garb of prison, covered in the grime and, 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 and dirt of, of prison life. Imagine the shock then. Imagine thinking then how well that bride had done to be married into the royal family. And that is the shock of verse 23. Of all the nations, God had chosen Israel. Little, enslaved, hopeless, faithless Israel. But here is God's grace. God's grace to pluck a shepherd boy from obscurity and make him king over an eternal kingdom. Grace to pluck an obscure little nation out of slavery, a nothing nation, and to make them the center of his purposes and plans for the world. Grace for us here tonight to pluck us out of slavery to sin and to bring us into God's kingdom and family to be partakers of his eternal promises. We only ever come because of God's grace. I take it David was a busy man. He's the king. Uh, He has a country to run, an army to manage. You can imagine the emails and phone calls just piling up. And so why does he go and sit on the dusty floor of a small tent outside the palace? Because I take it at that point in time, David could think of nothing better to do than to sit and praise God for his grace. When is the last time we could think of nothing better to do than to sit and praise God for his grace? If we found ourselves with a couple of spare hours over the bank holiday weekend, I wonder how we'd spend it. Maybe basking out in the sunshine, sunbathing, or doing some gardening, or or shopping, or um, maybe some Netflix. Or would we be itching just to slip away and spend some time praising God? I dragged Lorna to the cinema on Friday to watch the new Star Wars film about the early life of Hans Solo. Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to give away uh, any spoilers tonight in case you're about to go and see it. But um, I think it's fair to say that Hans Solo comes across as a bit plucky, uh, a self-made survivor. He, He makes his own luck in life. My fear for us here at Forward is that we have a hands solo view of our Christian life. Looking around the room here tonight, uh, compared to the rest of the world, many of, many of us are very well educated. Many of us have very good jobs or very good career prospects in the years to come. Many of us experience extremely comfortable lives compared to the rest of the world. And so it will be easy for us to conclude, therefore, that we are self-made humans living here and forward. And once we make that conclusion, it's very easy for that perception to seep into other areas of life, to think that we are self-made in other areas. And dare I say it, even when it comes to being part of God's family, that we are somehow self-made Christians, that we are part of God's amazing plans for the world because we deserve it. 
You can tell a lot about what a person believes by the way they pray. And so can I ask each one of us, how do we pray? How often do we simply want to praise God because of his remarkable grace to us? You see, a hands solo Christian, a self-reliant Christian is rarely a thankful Christian. But a Christian who believes and knows they are only part of God's eternal plans because of God's grace, well, that Christian will be full of thankfulness. When Jesus taught his followers how to pray, he began with these words, our Father in heaven. I guess we can be so familiar with those words that we forget the shock of what is being taught us in that prayer. The one God of the Bible, the one who made the world, the, the God of white hot holiness, the God who cannot be approached, we've seen that in 2 Samuel. That God we can now call our heavenly Father. How is that possible? Only because of God's grace to us in the death of Jesus. The right response, well, Jesus continues, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, praised be your name. And 1,000 years before Jesus, David got there first as he sat on the dusty floor of a tent. Praise God because of his grace. Well, secondly, our second point is this, petition God because of his promises. Now, um, what David does next, I think is, is quite puzzling. Uh, he, he asks God to do the very thing God has just promised to do. Look at verse 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised. Well, then look down to verse 29. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken and with your blessing the house of your servant will be blessed forever. Do you see what David's doing? It's almost like a paradox. David is now certain about two very important things. One, that God will establish one of his descendants on the throne forever. And secondly, that God's people will be an eternal people who experience blessing and protection in God's kingdom forever. God's king and God's people, certain promises. And we might then think, well, they're in the bag now. There's no need to pray. God will do it. And yet David prays. Because somehow in God's economy, God works through the prayers of his people to bring about his unstoppable and sovereign will. And without God's promises to to stand on, the, the prayers of David almost sound arrogant. God, make one of my sons the eternal king of the world forever. God, make the people I am king of into a great nation who is blessed forever they do sound a little bit arrogant except for the fact that God had just promised those very things I love this quote I came across this week by the Puritan John Trapp it is no arrogance nor presumption to burden God with his own promises petition 
God because of his promises. The Bible shows us lots of different ways to pray. Uh, Sometimes we just cry out in agony because our hearts are overwhelmed. That's absolutely right in the Bible. Sometimes we lament because of the brokenness of this world. We're just undone by what's around us, and that's also right. At times, we're so confused by the complexity of life, we don't even know how to pray, and that's right as well. The Spirit helps us in our groanings. He's with us. Lots of different ways to pray in the Bible, and yet alongside all those ways, the Bible consistently says to God's people to make sure that part of our prayers are that we are praying God's promises, praying in line with his will for his world. And I think that when we start to see how big and global and eternal and world-changing God promises are, we can see why it's so good to be about the business of praying God's promises in. Don't we long to be led by a good, upright, fair, just, consistent, honorable, wise, powerful, skillful, courageous, loving leader? We have one in King Jesus. May his kingdom come. Don't we long for a world to be put right, a world moved from curse to blessing, a world full of peace, not danger? We have a promise about a world like that in the new creation. Don't we long for it to come? And so it's no wonder that when Jesus taught his followers how to pray, he began with those words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, and then he continued with, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that is exactly the same kind of prayer David was praying 1,000 years before. And it is a prayer we should go on praying that the reign of King Jesus would spread over this world and be enjoyed by more and more people. And that one day the fullness of the kingdom will be enjoyed when the new creation comes to us out of heaven. I wonder how often we pray these big prayers And when we pray the Lord's Prayer on our own, and I I hope we do pray it on our own, why not stop at your kingdom come and then start praying for our world, for the growth of the church where people acknowledge the reign of Jesus, uh, praying increasingly that the name of Jesus will be honored in this world, not taken as as a swear word on people's lips. Pray that he would come back to free us from pain and suffering of this broken world. Petition God because of his promises. Well, just a couple of practical thoughts as we finish. Uh, To to pray this way, uh, to petition God because of his promises, uh, we need to know what God's promises are. And, And this means praying with an open Bible. In my own experience of being a Christian, there have been a number of times when I've, I've really struggled to, to read the Bible on my own. That's not an uncommon experience, as I've talked to various people. But one of the spin-offs that I have noted in my own life is that when I stop reading God's word for myself, I find that my prayer life changes, and not in a good way. That the things I pray about become increasingly um, stunted and self-centered, uh, uh, things that I uh, react to and, and want for myself, for my own agendas. But when I'm coming to God's word daily and I'm allowing God's word to shape my, my longings and, and priorities and, and focus in life, I find that my prayers so often start to mimic and echo what I've just read in the Bible. I'm not saying that you have to know your Bible perfectly or be some expert Christian 
to start praying. Please don't make me, don't, I'm not trying to put you off praying. You can start anywhere. Start with the Lord's Prayer, a great place to start. But the more we open our Bibles, the more we'll have fuel for our prayers to petition God in line with his promises. The other thing is to pray this way will mean learning how to connect our, our daily life with all the struggles and joys of, of actual living with God's big promises over here in the Bible. We have to connect those two together. Often in our small groups, when it comes to sharing prayer requests, we, we, we've done a Bible study, and then we close the Bible, and then we start to, to share our, our prayer requests. It'd be much better, I think, to keep the Bibles open and to pray in light with what we've just seen. Well, here's just one example of what I'm talking about, and why not chat with uh, people afterwards to think of other examples. Um, but imagine you have an exam this week. It's not hard to imagine that. I know lots of you do have exams this week. And uh, imagine you've just finished your small group Bible study on 2 Samuel 7, and you've come to share prayer requests, and you've got this exam. How would you like your group to pray for you in line with God's promises in 2 Samuel 7? Well, I have to say, nowhere do we find in 2 Samuel 7 the promise of an A star or a first-class degree. Sorry about that. It's not there. That's not a promise we have to stand on in the Bible. But what about this to offer your group as a way of praying? Please pray that I would remember I am part of God's eternal people with a glorious future in the new creation, not because of what I can do or what results I will get, but because of his grace. Please pray that other people who watch me face my exams would see that the way I do so is different from those around us who are not part of God's people and that they would realize that being part of God's people makes a difference on the ground and they would want to know why. Please pray somehow that through all this, um, people will come and hear about Jesus and would be added to God's kingdom and his house would grow. There are lots of ways to pray for exams, but I think T. Samuel would help us pray that way. You can tell a lot about what a person believes by the way they pray. Some never pray for they do not realize there is a God who is at work in this world. Others pray to a Santa Claus God who they seek to bend to their will. But when we discover what David discovered, then we will praise God because of his grace and petition God because of his promises. Let us pray. Father, with David, we are humbled by your grace to us. Father, please forgive us when we slip into thinking that we are self-made Christians and not needing your grace. We're sorry for when that robs you of your glory. Please humble us. Help us to rejoice in your grace. And Father, we thank you for these great, big, wonderful, global, world-changing promises that come to us through your Son, the true King Jesus. Please fill our hearts and minds with excitement and preoccupation and passion and zeal for these promises, for they are good promises. They are world-changing promises. They make all the difference. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.